to quote Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Most people think that if someone's successful, they've had everything going their way. My intent this season is to get my guest leaders to share their honest experiences, not only around leadership, but also around wellness. I've spent 14 years in the corporate jungle with IT behemoths like IBM, SAP, Wipro and GBM in Dubai and the last six founding and building B2C startups. I'm Kaushik Bose and welcome to The Brain Box. Keeping in mind the theme of the season, wellness, it is indeed a pleasure to host Mark Fernandez, who has a plethora of skills, right from 17 years of consulting experience across the big four, to an ICF certified coach, to a behavioral therapist, as well as being a senior vice president in HR. He's been recognized as a global thought leader by LinkedIn as well in 2022. A very warm welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you very much, Kotlik. My pleasure. So I have to admit that I found your profile very interesting. Uh, After your BSc, you did a master's in media and communications, went on to do an MBA in HR and finance, and uh, even did a leadership program from Wharton School. So what led you down this path? Um, what has actually happened to me is a realization that one has to be open to doing things, reading the situation around oneself. So when I signed up for a BSc course, I was very clear. I was studying in my early days for a seat in medicine, but couldn't make it to the choice of medical college that I wanted to and then BSc was the option because engineering was not something I wanted to pursue mm-hmm. and uh, when I picked up a BSc the intent was to move from a BSc into an MSc and then pick up a doctoral program in the area of nuclear chemistry and become a scientist that was what I wanted to do but as luck would have it around the time I graduated We were also entering a time of depression. Also Mm -hmm. being at St. Xavier's College and loving the environment there, I signed up for a master's in media and communications. It also opened up a whole new dimension about what it is to work in the corporate and realizing how an MBA degree adds value to those who work in these spaces. I'm kind of interested in what I, I have seen and read and researched about it. So, so let me give it my best shot. And that's how B-School happened. And that was the first paradigm shift for me career-wise from somebody who was looking chiefly at making a career out of pure sciences to then realizing that the situation was not very conducive back then, shifting mm-hmm. gears into a management program. And um, I also realized that while I did that, the major conflict was in deciding where I wanted to major in. Because while I really liked organizational behavior and HR, thanks to one of my motivated finance faculty, Dr. Vandana Zakaria, and um, that's where the HR and the finance double major happened for me because it helped me also bring a very quantitative aspect to running organizations besides the qualitative aspect which is what HR does. Today, as a practicing OD practitioner, 
the ability to see things through multiple lenses and not just to people lens, but also how that impacts strategy of an organization when it comes to costs, when it comes to wage bills, when it comes to profitability and productivity, definitely enables me to make better decisions. You take things organically and I believe that whatever it is that you pick up and learn never goes a waste because there are opportunities then to leverage all those learnings in the areas that you pick up. What is important is not just adding dots, but more importantly, how do you connect the dots you've added? And each mm -hmm. one can connect those dots differently. It doesn't matter how you connect them. What matters is what meaning you make of how you connect them. Basically, a lot of my learnings, my reflections in the course of my time spent in consulting, mm -hmm. as I watched people grow in organizations and realized that growth is as much a function of ambition and potential as much as it is a function of self-belief and the ability to manage the narratives that are playing in your head. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. very often we would, I, in the course of my experiences in consulting, I came across very bright individuals who had the fire in them, but were averse to picking up roles which pushed them to take risks. Mm -hmm. Or I saw people who took risks even though they were not necessarily very prepared to take them, but the confidence with which they would approach the situation pushed them to stellar heights. And mm -hmm. therefore, the very curiosity of what is potential, what makes some people successful and what doesn't, given the same set of opportunities. And that's where I decided to do a little more work in the space on my own because that really interested a lot I'm an avid reader. I really love to read. So in the course of these readings and reflections, I came across the concept of transaction analysis mm -hmm. in psychology. Mm -hmm. And what a powerful concept that has been. Because in understanding that concept, a lot of things became clear about why people functioned the way they did, not just personally, but also professionally. Mm -hmm. And therefore, what made some people very successful in spite and despite of the odds on, in their path, and what made other people unsuccessful, even though they had the proverbial silver spoon given to them. And that's also around the point of time I transitioned from moving into a cons from a consulting role into a corporate role. And that's where the whole genesis of behavioral therapy came in. Using transaction analysis and CBT as base mm -hmm. and then blending it with my organizational experience of being an OD practitioner, understanding human behavior and psychology, using those tools to enable people make better decisions, address the spaces that they were in, or build better awareness for building stronger effectiveness at the workspace or in their personal spaces or both.
from a personal perspective i would just like to understand especially when it come to the startup space right because i'm sure that mm-hmm. you have lots of scenarios in that but let's say specific to the uh, startup space where mm-hmm. you find some leaders uh, who were later considered as heroes who despite all the you know hindrances that they face they make it big and there are oh. the probably 9 out of 10 of the remaining 90% actually fail and disappear along the way uh, destroying oh. their entire you know uh, oh. Oh. Uh, reserves of cash and so on so what actually i mean like like you mentioned so is it the, the self confidence comes in is it primarily the scenario what's the you know general 30000 feet uh, reason for it so there is no black and white answer but what i will do is try answering that with a perspective mine mm-hmm. my perspective okay uh, as any behaviorist would say i think a lot of what you are in life is arrived at in a contribution both involving nature and nurture Mm-hmm. nature because of the genetic material that you bring with you in your body and your being and nurture because how has contrib- how has how have your experiences in early childhood and beyond contributed to your being mm-hmm. right so it's very important to appreciate the value of both now very often a lot of emphasis is laid on nature because people believe that genetic content is the determinant of the kind of success you will have mm-hmm. but if that were the case then i think children born to the same parents should achieve the same degree of success because both of them carry the same genetic material sure. right but that is not the case because in the very same home you see two no two kids behave the same react the same respond the same arrive at the same career decisions or the same quality of life or success mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is where the whole concept of nurture plays a very very strong role and that is where this entire understanding of transaction analysis uh enables you to understand what is happening because transaction analysis as a subject is all about also understanding how the scripts that you internalize from the time you are a baby till mm-hmm. the time you come to be of an age where you are financially emotionally and cognitively and independent in yourself how these scripts actually shape your concept of self your self esteem the kind of strokes you seek in life and the kind of narrative you create about your capabilities and how far you will go in life mm-hmm. and that along with nature which is the genetic material you come with are very potent indicators of how far you will grow and how far you will go mm-hmm. so transaction analysis therefore becomes very very important even when you study leadership now when you're talking about startups and while i do understand that uh you know it's not you can't just dismiss the success of one startup with the effort put in and maybe the inability to put in the effort to make it successful because all startups require a lot of effort taking your mm-hmm. example of startups and yet some people are able to run it successfully 
Now that might have multiple different reasons besides that of nature and nurture. But what makes a entrepreneur successful, therefore I'll go beyond the startup, mm-hmm. is the script that is playing in their head. How is it that they receive success and how is it that they respond to failure? That has a lot to do with the kind of scripting that has gone into their being right from how they were brought up as children, how their parents responded to them and nurtured them in their early days, whether they were born up in authoritarian homes, whether they were brought up in homes and surroundings where freedom to make decisions and learn from them without fear of failure was made open and available to them whether or not they were brought up in a certain parenting style which said either they were not enough or they were complete in themselves and therefore able and empowered to find solutions to problems that would ail them. So a lot of this goes Mm -hmm. later into the mind maps that then dictate the quality of life that people live. It's a very deep area and I'm just drawing the very broad outliers of mm-hmm. the subject for you, but uh, that is where transaction analysis comes in. The ability to understand from a psychodynamic approach what has led to pe- people being the way they are and how that has impacted them, bringing them to that degree of awareness and then enabling the acknowledgement, the healing and the support they require to make the transition is what then enables leaders to move from a space of helplessness to hopefulness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. along the journey. So you very move from a victim mentality to a victor mentality. Because very often it the victim mentality or the victor mentality plays out from a script that you have already internalized long before you knew that you were internalizing. True. Probably not many people prefer the victim mentality also because it's the probably the easier way uh, to get out of a situation. Possibly, but I don't think they even realize it. I think it's very, yes, it is an easy thing to do, but it is also a space that people unwittingly and comfortably fall into. And to making them realize whether they're ready to move out of that comfort space because even playing victim, though has its demerits and is a disabler, also offers you a space of comfort because you're waiting for someone to come and rescue you. And that wait sometimes can be very comforting because you don't have to do anything about it, but just wait and hope that somebody will come and believe that your condition is not because of what you choose to do, but somebody else's inaction to come and support or enable you. Actually, just coming back to your point around the transaction analysis as well, uh, I had to actually Google the term. I think it's uh, gestalt therapy. You can correct me if I'm wrong. That is correct. (laughs) But that is primarily centered on a person's awareness, freedom and self-direction. And personally, what I have also seen is that especially leaders, many of them, uh, they lack self-awareness. And that's the reason that they do not even take feedback too uh, wittingly. So why do you think that's the case? And uh, what do you think really uh, accounts for that? See, leadership is um, very 
abused if i may say so term in respect to understanding what mm-hmm. it is supposed to do because i think in most of our minds leadership is more positional it is more a noun than it is a verb for people mm-hmm. so because of that people believe that leadership is about where you stand in the hierarchy and not about what you enable but it is the degree of value you add and the impact you create that comes to define a leader true and what defines the leader is the traits that they display which is what we call leadership traits right leadership in that sense is a verb you've got mm-hmm. to be at it it's mm-hmm. not a one time position like a noun mm-hmm. now why is it that people are so insecure to accept feedback and act on it so i'll come to the act a little later the first is accept is because when you look at leadership from the space of a noun it is mm-hmm. positional right and when you occupy a space there is and that space is always a concern because being an organizational pyramid it tapers as you move higher on the one hand we are saying leadership is positional on the other hand we say that there is only room for so many people at the top now with that understanding of leadership it is but natural that human beings being competitive as they are start getting insecure of where they stand in the hierarchy because if it is a tapering pyramid Mm-hmm. and you are on it then the worry is one it won't take long for somebody else to overtake you or will you be at that pyramid if you're not being the perfect version of who you're supposed to be because in your mind a leader is about position and a leader is about being always right a leader is about always saying the right things doing the right things and being at the right place which is up there in the pyramid now mm-hmm. this is a very distorted version of leadership right mm-hmm. because when that happens and if that's the version you buy into then you've already said that a leader has to be perfect a leader in many ways has to be a demigod because only people up there you can only be up there if you are god like you can mm-hmm. only be up there if you're saying the right things doing the right things being the right person so you see the amount of pressure and mm-hmm. therefore if you do not appeal to everybody because there's such a huge chunk of the population under you right and no two people are going to see you with the same set of eyes there will always be feedback it can be very intimidating because if they don't see it the same way and there is feedback that comes in a way that you see as negative you see your self worth you see your positional importance diminishing this is all in your head mm-hmm. and therefore either you don't seek feedback or the feedback that you get unsettles you because it's not the feedback that unsettles you it's the perception that once you've gotten that feedback you're not as effective or you're not as demigod like as you should be or you're not as leader like as you should be and therefore you might just fall off that pyramid any point in time makes leaders very insecure makes them very uh intimidated of the kind of feedback they get so some of them become very selective about the feedback they are open to receiving or mm-hmm. many of them choose not to receive feedback at all because there is a fear that what if 
I get to hear what I don't want to listen to. Very interesting. Now, if you, so that is where debusting the myths that leadership is positional when it is not, and making it more a function of the impact you create and the influence you are able to drive for yourself to a larger for a larger purpose is what leadership is so tomorrow you could have a management trainee who could be displaying leadership traits mm-hmm. you could have a senior manager display leadership traits and you have the md of the company displaying leadership traits so it's not positional mm-hmm. it is more in that sense about an awareness and a willingness to make change and believe that change begins with you and you will take the effort therefore it is more effort than it is position true but that's true. where vulnerability comes in and today we are moving in the space where leaders are not encouraged to be completely a 10 on 10 in all aspects you're talking about the vulnerable leader who also has their flaws but who is except who's one aware of it or aware of them mm-hmm. and two accepting of them and mm-hmm. in spite of them is able to contribute meaningfully to the direction of the organization and to their own growth that makes people more human that makes people more relatable too because otherwise we are saying being a leader is about being god like and therefore not everybody can be leader a leader and uh, i think that is not true because that is acting from a space of scarcity that is acting from a space of wanting to keep it scarce absolutely it's really interesting because i think it boils back to the discussion we had earlier around the self confidence and the uh, nurturing piece because in one of the earlier episodes also i had uh, discussed about this whether leadership is born or it's something that you can grow into and i had uh, one of the managing directors of coseira that time and he mentioned he was from a defense background and he actually mentioned the same thing that you are actually born with it so i think mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty much coming down to the same thing it's a matter of you know acceptance and how well you going to you know move into that leadership role absolutely and here's where i'll make two two points as an aside the very realization if you've been watching movies and if you're a movie buff and if you've been also watching it from the lens of a behaviorist i think the biggest shift we have seen in movies today especially superhero movies is a shift in where the superhero was seen all perfect to the superhero today having shades of gray in their character right right so whether it comes to a batman or a superman or a spiderman or mm. even you know the action hero movies where everything about the hero in the earlier part of the century was about perfection a hero had to be you know free of blemishes of any kind he was perfect to so today we are saying a hero becomes perfect because of his openness in acknowledging and working on his imperfections which Absolutely. means the hero also has their struggle and mm-hmm. we are seeing that even in organizations today because today organizations are increasingly beginning to realize we don't want people who are perfect we want people who have accepted their imperfect and are learning to deal with their imperfection because that brings in the struggle 
and increasingly we have organizations that are saying today don't just tell me about how many times you've been successful and what have you done with that success tell me about how many times you failed and how has that taught you lessons changed you as a person or helped you in your growth as a professional and as a person absolutely great so this actually gets me to something else you are also uh, certified right on the hogan suite of assessments which focuses on personality assessment tests to predict performance yes uh, and interestingly i didn't know this 75% of the fortune 500 companies use this test for their hiring so keeping yes. in mind that uh, like you are rightly mentioning right that you will have a lot of failures how does this work i mean won't it be more to the line of you know what are your achievements and what will be the successes or does it also take into consideration the failures or how you've handled uh, setbacks i would like to make a correction there the hogan is an inventory very well mm-hmm. validated researched and scientifically devised but it does not talk about successes and failures mm-hmm. okay it's it's a it's a derived form of the big 5 uh, which basically talks about traits that are important for individuals to have that enable mm-hmm. or disable in context so it never says this trait enables and that trait disables it gives you a set of traits mm-hmm. and it says depending on how one leverages those traits in context of the situation one mm-hmm. might meet with a certain degree of success or failure or somewhere in between the two okay so it is not cast in stone which says that i have a report and mm-hmm. this report says because of these traits this person will be successful or because okay. of these traits this person will be unsuccessful that's mm-hmm. not what the hogan does what the hogan does is basically holds the mirror to a person mm-hmm. on traits that the hogan sees validated researched and acknowledged as traits required by people to be successful in the roles that they do in the lives that they live and as people who they are right mm-hmm. then it mm-hmm. is for the certified hogan practitioner to put that in context and understand whether that trait is being over leveraged under leveraged or not leveraged at all mm-hmm. to create the degree of impact that that situation requires to be handled successfully or not so the best of us would have railers and derailers and the hogan openly acknowledges that so it is mm-hmm. not that tomorrow if kaushik is a superstar he has no derailers mm-hmm. or if somebody else is uh you know not as successful as kaushik will have any less railers everybody mm-hmm. has their share of railers and derailers but it is their ability to leverage one and when i say leverage your leverage would be the degree of leverage right over under or no leverage right. at all that mm-hmm. makes them successfully handle the situation and this is where to my mind even transaction analysis can be brought in because the degree to which you leverage or under leverage or don't leverage also comes out from one awareness and two the scripting that you had now if you believe that somewhere down the line you will only be successful when your thoughts are validated because mm-hmm. all through life all through childhood you were not allowed to make a decision unless you checked with a significant authority figure and only then were given permission to act you mm-hmm. grow up believing that you are insufficient in your own to take a free decision right True. and that plays out in organizational life as well 
and therefore when the hogan says that somewhere down the line you struggle with decision making somebody who comes with a behavioral background also as a therapist understands that the decision making is also it's not as simple as i'm struggling with decision making and the next time there's a decision given to me i should just act it's not as simple as that there is a lot of background to why the person is where they are on the hogan scale because in those conversations you begin to explore how they have grown where they have grown what have been the influences and how that has played out in their ability to take decisions without seeking multiple validation taking a certain degree of risk and believing that iske baad jo bhi hona hai i will either wing it or if i don't wing it i will fail fast learn from it and move ahead whereas somebody else can be someone who then just doesn't take risk or refuses to take decisions because they've been told that taking risks is bad and making decisions on your own is not a good thing do only when you're told very interesting so i i am a big fan of the mbti test right so when we did it during our mba times as well and oh. uh, i am one of the 3 to 4% i guess who is the intj or the strategist but right. what was very interesting to me was uh, i'm actually 93% on the introvert scale and oh. people don't generally associate that especially in something like a you know like a sales background so oh. do you think that for example like let's say if i had to uh, like 20 years ago if i had to actually hire somebody uh, and i see that this guy is a 93% on an introvert scale so do you think that this will affect uh, you know the mentality and the hiring process as well so i have an opinion here on the mbti so permit me to share it even if it might not be in agreement with your please please held opinion about it <laughs> see as a practicing org behaviorist and psychologist i would say that behavioral inventories are of two types there are type tools and there are trait tools mm-hmm. okay and the difference between a type tool and a trait tool is that in a type tool a type tool will typecast who you are mm-hmm. right and in a trait tool it doesn't typecast who you are but it talks about behavioral traits that you exhibit because these are traits that are not uh you know they're not changing these are inherent traits that contribute to your personality type your personality mm-hmm. pers- you know persona mm-hmm. so trait tools have known to have a higher degree of reliability mm-hmm. and also the fact that they play out stronger over the lifetime of an individual with some degree of variation which is life changing events that happen in your life or because of certain deep traumatic incidents that play out for you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now type tools on the other hand are very are based on the influences around that part of time in your life so to mm-hmm. give you a simple example an mbti is a type tool which mm-hmm. is to say that the kind of type of person that you were when you were 16 and the time of kind the type of person that you are when you're 26 and onward will be mm-hmm. very different because there are significant different uh experiences that are incident on you that keep changing you as a person mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. therefore you are not the same person at 16 as you are at 26 and 36 and so on and so forth true and 
tight tools in that sense are more pop psychology. They are feel good in the moment, quick dipsticks at that point in time. But do they hold over the lifetime? Maybe not, because mm-hmm. research has shown that they do not. But trade tools, on the other hand, are significantly stable, have higher mm-hmm. reliability, and they stay out through the life of the person with a minor degree of variation, which the Hogan is. So if you ask a practitioner, a good mm-hmm. practitioner would always look at for reliability reasons and decision making reasons, choose a trade tool over a type tool because you're betting on people. You mm-hmm. are working on them. And see, when you deal with human behavior, you're dealing with the core of who the human being is. So your data has to be reliable, has to be intact and has to be something that is fairly consistent. It can't mm-hmm. change over periods in time because behavioral shifts uh, are not easy processes. So when you're giving people feedback and you're you're bringing to bringing to light certain deficits or excesses in their personality, mm-hmm. you are making them aware of who they are, and it might sit with them. Depending on what you say, it sits uneasily or easily with them. In your trait tool, you can say 10 years ago or 20 years ago, it doesn't matter because the trait goes down to the basis of your personality. It goes to how you make decisions. So whether you made decisions in a particular way as a 16-year-old or 26, the core of that is what enabled you to take... Are you somebody who naturally takes decisions or doesn't take decisions? There are no two ways about it. Hmm. Interesting. So um, you're also a long distance runner and a kickboxing enthusiast as well. So, uh, and of course, you've got a ton of hobbies. You're an avid photographer. Uh, you love to travel. Uh, I, I don't do, think my way, wife has researched my profile as well as you have. <laughs> you really seem to have researched it really well. <laughs> Thanks. So, so uh, because I too love to travel, you know, like uh, me and my wife, we travel mm. a lot. So, uh, and what mm. we generally see is that most people are very averse to traveling too often. So maybe it's money, time or the company, whatever the reasons are. But how mm. critical do you think that all of this plays when it comes to mental wellness? If mathematically, mental health is a function of where you stand on your physical health, where you stand on your emotional health, your cognitive health, your spiritual health your financial health, because when these buckets are sufficiently well addressed, mm-hmm. then you are in a state of mental well-being. Now, is somebody always in a state of well-being? Maybe not. And that is what uh, is, I think, the journey of life to see that we are continuously making a balance between all these buckets. right? So if I say F of X, which is X is mental health, is equal to X dash, which mm-hmm. is physical health plus X double dash, which is men, which is uh, emotional health, plus X triple dash, which is financial health, plus X, you know, four times dash, mm-hmm. which is your, um, um, say, uh, your uh, financial health or spiritual health. The deficits in any one of them will impact the outcome of that equation. Mm-hmm. So mental mm-hmm. health at any point in time is saying that having this number is broadly having a good mental health, which mm-hmm. means that you know, if by and large, this is within an acceptable norm, I am okay. Life is not perfect, but life is not so bad either. That's mm-hmm. good metal. If one of these buckets, the deficits is low, that is where it starts playing out on the equation. Now, the degree to which it impacts that equation 
falls on a scale of whether it makes you functional or dysfunctional now anything mm -hmm. that makes you dysfunctional leads to mental health falling into the mental illness continuum you know you move from mental health to mental illness because you become dysfunctional mm -hmm. and as long as you continue to remain functional even though your buckets have deficits you have bad mental health or compromised mental health but you're not mentally ill now, i right. thought it was very important to bring this definition because most of us confuse mental health with mental illness Mm -hmm. mental illness is something that calls for medication calls for therapy right. calls for a deeper interventions but mental health not being good requires awareness some degree of hand holding and coaching and a certain change in lifestyle and this is important to understand because to your question about maintaining good mental health Mm -hmm. our mental health always moves along a continuum of good okay not so okay bad depending on situations that impact us a bad day at the office a bad mm -hmm. difficult conversation with the boss a a fight with the spouse a bad financial decision all of this compromises mental health but doesn't make us mentally ill mm -hmm. right and therefore the ability to bounce back is what mental illness is because there will always be uh there will always be incidents that work adversely but good mental health is about how do you manage those instances in a way that you are able to bounce back from it and continue functioning if work is the only dimension of your life mm -hmm. then it is only natural that anything that happens in the work universe that is adverse impacts your function of mental health because your equation has only one variable f of x is equal to x dash x is mental health x dash is about work true right so anything that goes wrong in the workspace impacts your mental health and therefore it is important to have multiple dimensions to life koshik so therefore having a life beyond work engaging mm. in a hobby engaging in me time contributing to a larger purpose beyond yourself all of these become those different dimensions so therefore a spiritual dimension a personal dimension a cognitive dimension so so many different dimensions and very often we realize we make only one dimension the sequan norm you know which is basically mm -hmm. a complete we are so focused and fast and obsessive about work because society defines success as being successful at the workplace that you put all your energies there and anything that goes topsy turvy there brings the whole foundation down because your equation only has one variable and that being said therefore good mental health is about having life beyond work and i think mm -hmm. i realized this during my days when i was in consulting because consulting is a tough job it's glamorous and sexy on the one hand but on the other hand the burnout ratio the stay ratio is not a very high one the burnout ratio is a very high one because you're constantly juggling multiple projects you're traveling there are heavy stakes there's a lot of money i mean you're determining the future of organizations through the advice that you give them through the quality of implementation and it's not easy and that's when i actually started running you know to to i took to running marathons i took to kickboxing because i realized that 
I needed to have other dimensions to my life besides work because as the stress was building up, it played out in terms of your eating habits, in my case, my eating habits, my lifestyle. So it was important. Therefore, I managed that as well. So running was a stress buster for me. Kickboxing mm-hmm. was an area that got out the aggression, that got out the frustration out of me. Mm. And clicking photography also gave me gave a went to me because as a person i am a very creative person and uh, i i believe a lot of what makes me creative is the way i look at life through the lens i look at it and photography gave me that beautiful aperture you know to look at life through a very different window so taking up the street photography and writing about what that photograph did for me when i clicked it so mm-hmm. these hobbies kept me going because then when people asked me what i did and who i am I am, and I was not just a function of where I worked and my role, but also a collective of all these layers that I had consciously cultivated and worked on. Excellent. Just coming back to your point, which you mentioned around the consulting, especially, don't you think it has a lot to do with the leadership aspect, especially, I mean, the like you rightly mentioned, right? So you are primarily at least uh, to your neighbor and to your parents and uh, important folks. It's primarily of how successful you have been in the career. So do, do you think that the leadership where they expect that you should be in the office, and I'm saying especially in consulting, uh, where you have these kind of uh, stigmas that if you leave before 9 p.m., you're just not doing your job. So don't you think these are things that should change ASAP? So I have been very fortunate to have been working with some of the best brands worldwide as far as uh, insulting assignments and brands were concerned and even today in the organization yeah. that I work for and we fortunately didn't have any such diktats so all mm-hmm. through my life at Deloitte and PricewaterhouseCoopers I never had bosses who insisted I stay in office for a certain number of hours doing things in a particular way to prove that I was working as long as work got done meaningfully right. and with impact it didn't matter where it got done. So way before flexi working hours and hybrid came to be in fashion, I think I had that as early as at the start of my career, way back from the mid-2000s, wherein it didn't matter whether I worked out of the Deloitte Delhi office or the Bombay office or any office, as long as I was able to turn around my deliverables, meet my clients, engage with them, deliver value. And that was it. And that has kind of built my work ethic in the way I run my department at Kotak Life and the way I run my team as well. Because mm-hmm. I think the world has changed, times have changed, and therefore it calls for newer ways of looking at how work gets done. I mean, at the end of the day, nobody is seeking to be unsuccessful. Everybody seeks to be successful. True. And once you realize that, it is about enabling how you make way for that success in your rapport, in your relationship and leadership style with each of these people. Mm -hmm. And how does it matter whether they come in every day into office or not? Now, this is also not to say that they shouldn't come in at all because I'm also a firm believer that you need to have a certain degree of bonding, belongingness at the workplace to keep you engaged. Because as Mm -hmm. social beings, you know, it's not just, it's like online education. At the end of the day, the biggest Learning from education is not that you get the degree, but the process of going through it, right? Going into a classroom, interacting with your teachers, 
learning how to manage failure, learning how to manage fights and disagreements. Same thing within an organization too. So there has to be a balance, a rational and a judicious balance between managing work at the workplace and managing work off the workplace. And once you come into an agreement with your direct reports and with the organization about that, it's a question of how it gets done. Mm -hmm. And I think we should not get too fussed about where it gets done, how long it gets done. I think these are all energy drainers and True. they just distract you from the quality of work. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more on this. So uh, my final question for you is that if you could go back in time, what advice would you give the 20-year-old Mark? Hmm. <laughs> it's an interesting one. Be brave. Take more risks. Fail fast. And run faster after that. That's it. Lovely. So thank you so much, Mark. Uh, I mean, I love the insights, uh, not only around the... HR perspective, but on the leadership as well. Uh, you cleared a lot of uh, HR concepts that I had in mind, and I really wanted to talk to someone around it. Your your insights on the mental wellness uh, as a whole was fantastic. So thank you so much, Mark, for having come on the show and really appreciate you having taken the time out. Thank you very much for having me on the show and bearing me with bearing with me on some of the elaborate answers that I perhaps have answered your questions with. No, no, absolutely loved it. Thanks a ton, Mark. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you wish to collaborate, you can reach out to me on linkedin.com slash in slash koshik hyphen boost.